0: Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's a Politics Wednesday edition of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. Today on board, two uh, very able political scholars, Jim McCormick, professor of political science at Iowa State University. Hello, Jim. Hello, Ben. Good to have you on board, as well as Megan Goldberg, Assistant Professor of American Politics at Cornell College in Mount Vernon. Great to have you with us as well, Megan.
1: Thanks, Ben. Great to be here.
0: A little preview of what's to come this hour later in the hour. Uh, we'll ask uh, Megan and Jim uh, what uh, they think to to expect from this new Congress as we um, had that news right after the 5149 determination after the Georgia uh, Runoff, and then Kirsten Cinema, um, leaving the Dem the, the Democratic Party. Also, uh, Kevin McCarthy struggling to gain support. Uh, presumed to be, uh, as far as we can tell, still the um, Speaker, new Speaker of the House, in the new Congress. Also, a new poll on um, really Donald Trump's. Uh, popularity or uh, support, I should say, for his 2024 bid, cratering among Republicans. We'll talk about that. News today, perhaps you saw that uh, Governor Reynolds uh, following some other states to ban the use of TikTok on state-owned devices. Uh, what to expect from the next session in the Iowa legislature? Then we'll go uh, abroad and lean on Jim McCormick's foreign policy expertise, talk a little bit about Ukraine, um, the return of Brittany Greiner, and that, that fascinating coup attempt in Germany, one 866 780 one eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred, or email us river to river at iowapublicradio dot We'd especially love your input on this first uh, issue. We'd like to address for a few minutes the Respect for Marriage Act um, passed by Congress. Um, signed by the president yesterday, does it impact you or a loved one? Join us with your thoughts about this landmark move by Congress. One eight six six seven eighty ninety one hundred. Now, what does it do? Um, it grants federal protections to same-sex and interracial couples. Does not force states to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples, but requires that people be considered married in any state as long as the marriage was valid in the state where it was performed. Now, the legislation passed the U.S. Senate last month, the House last week with strong bipartisan support. We want to talk about that. Twelve Republican senators, And 39 GOP House members joined all Democrats and independents in both chambers to pass the bill. Um, Let's hear from the president at the signing of the Marriage Equality Act. President Joe Biden not only acknowledged the progress that has been made, but said work still needs to be done.
2: We must stop the hate and violence like we just saw in Colorado Springs, where a place of acceptance and celebration was targeted for violence and terror. We need to challenge the hundreds of callous, cynical laws introduced in the states targeting transgender children, terrifying families, and criminalizing doctors who give children the care they need. We have to protect these children so they know they are loved and that we will stand up for them and say they can seek for themselves. <laughs> Folks, racism, anti-Semitism... Homophobia, transphobia, they're all connected. But the antidote to hate is love. This law and the love it defends strike a blow against hate in all its forms.
0: Okay, the president yesterday throwing a wide net on the significance of this measure. Uh, Before we have comment from our analysts, just to mention that Iowa's House, um, uh, we had two no votes in our congressional delegation, let me put it that way. Uh, Representative Randy Feenstra opposed it, as well as U.S. Senator uh, Chuck Grassley. The others were in favor of it. Uh, Megan, let's start off with you. How significant is this measure?
1: You know, I I think that there's a lot of sort of criticism that it doesn't actually do as much um, as I think especially advocates uh, for marriage equality wanted it to do. But I think that it's also sort of symbolically um, kind of an important step uh, for Congress to push back a bit against uh, the courts. You know, I think the courts have been moving in a way, especially with decisions last summer that indicated sort of a departure Uh, from a lot of public opinion and, um, you know, sort of demonstrating that if you leave things to the people, uh, you know, we're going to let sort of democracy decide and it's going to align with public opinion. Uh, And so I think it's an interesting show of Congress, you know, codifying some of the the Supreme Court decisions that we have from the past that are we're sort of fearful that might be overturned uh, with the Dobbs decision,
0: right? And and to go a little further with that, we had this June uh, Dobbs decision. Justice Thomas, in particular, wrote that the high court. Uh, should also examine previous rulings that legalized uh, the right to buy and use contraception, for instance, without government restriction. Same-sex relationships, uh, marriage equality. This is the uh, Obergefell. Um, uh, is, is it so? So, so this, uh, Megan, is what alarmed um, uh, some uh, and uh, w- really sparked this congressional action.
1: I, I think so I think also you know a demonstration of I, I often talk with students when we talk about separation of powers that there is an amount of power uh, in the federal government and they can expand and contract it but but that the different branches are sort of fighting for power amongst themselves and at times we have a more powerful executive branch uh, a more power more powerful legislative branch uh, and sometimes the legislative branch will do things I think this is a, an exertion of their power to demonstrate that right the the Congress is the, the legislative branch of the government who's going to be making policy and sort of exerting that power. Uh, whereas last summer, it really felt like the courts uh, were the were sort of the powerful branch of the government doing all of the you know dropping mm-hmm. these sort of decisions that were overturning longstanding precedents.
0: Yeah. You, you talked about the, the dramatic change in attitude we've had here. Well, in the last 10 years, Uh let me put some flesh on uh, on that comment. Um, the, the Gallup poll in um, May um, of this year, 71% of respondents saying same-sex marriages should be recognized by law as valid. Incredibly, that's up from 27% in 1996. That's when Gallup began polling on this issue. And until recently, we've had a large divide, Jim, along party lines on this issue. 2021, the first year, uh, a majority of Republicans supported same-sex marriage. Um, In Gallup's 2022 survey, 55% of Republicans uh, supporting it. And um, It's interesting, before you comment, Jim, let's hear from uh, Joni Ernst, our U.S. Senator, who supported this. She was censured by several Iowa Republican County parties for her vote in favor of this Respect for Marriage Act. She defended her vote uh, in this comment to Radio Iowa, reframing her vote as a protection of religious freedom rather than support for gay marriage. This is incredibly important that I get these points out. Um, The bill does not provide a federal right for same-sex marriage. After hearing directly from Iowans and taking a close look at the amended language that was presented in the Senate, I believe that the bill does protect religious freedoms and it simply maintains the
2: status quo
0: in Iowa. Okay, join our conversation 1866-780-9100. Jim, what to describe the fine line you uh, see if it is such a thing that the US senator Ernst is walking there.
2: Well, I think what she's really adopting is sort of the societal change uh, that has occurred and there's been a obviously an increased tolerance uh, for uh, for same-sex marriage, for example, and she makes the case that um, the law only applies to the governments. Governments must recognize, as you said at the outset, that states, uh, you know, I suppose could could enact some some separate legislation, but they must respect uh, if there's a marriage uh, in another state that were to a couple were to move into Iowa, would, they would have to be respected, and and, and so on. Uh, the other point she's making is about religious uh, respect for religious groups and basically non-governmental organizations here uh, that they presumably would not be uh, bound by uh, by this legislation. I think passage of it, you know, in the Senate was really a, a function of getting that amendment uh, added to the bill, uh, which of course some. And the House actually objected to uh, initially. Mm. They finally they finally pa- uh, agreed to the passage of it. But they wanted what you know a kind of a clean bill, uh, just in terms of uh, respect for for marriage. So the, the amendment was uh, consequential. I think the other question that's left unanswered by this is what it, what does it do to individuals? You know, we've we've had these cases uh, to the Supreme Court of, you know. Uh, bakers required to make cakes or 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 being asked to make cakes for same-sex marriages and so on i'm not quite sure and uh... i was trying to figure out whether whether the bill uh... extends to to that kind of coverage or not but it doesn't seem to in terms of just uh... the, the requirement upon government but but maybe megan can weigh on in on this too, whether it extends to individuals or not
0: Le- but megan before you do let me throw in this quote from Chuck Grassley, who opposed the legislation, one of two of our congressional delegation who did, the other Randy Feenstra in the House. Uh, Senator Gransley issued this statement. Uh, well, he, he had this comment to the Des Moines Register. My vote against this bill is not about opposing the recognition of same-sex or interracial marriage, marriages. It's about defending the religious liberty enshrined in our founding documents. This legislation, he said, is simply un necessary. Pick that apart, uh, the, the religious freedom uh, part uh, uh, of the rationale here, Megan.
1: Yeah, you know, so I think the the sort of longstanding debate here uh, is, you know, sort of on the extreme that there's concern among religious groups that perhaps even churches, you know, will be forced uh, to perform marriages that they don't consider valid, uh, which of course, like, that there's a lot of protections that that won't be the case. Um but I do think that, you know, I'm trying to, like, look up the text of the bill here to to fact check myself. Um, but I do believe that there's a section in the new legislation that talks about there should be no impact from this bill on religious liberty and conscience. Um, and I believe that it does specifically give some protection For uh, organizations, if their principal purpose is the study practice or advancement of religion or an employee of that organization doesn't necessarily have to provide services or uh, goods uh, for the purpose of a same sex wedding. So I do think there's some protection there. And I think but that is somewhat limited and it wouldn't necessarily apply to perhaps, you know, a bakery that doesn't actually have, you know, if their principal purpose isn't the study practice or advancement of religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think there is some desire among Republicans to protect any individuals whose personal religious beliefs uh, make them uncomfortable or they feel like it's against their practice of belief uh, to to provide those types of goods and services. I don't think the law extends to that, um, but it does protect churches. And I, I think that the Republicans uh, who voted against this, you know, are sort of pointing to that, and they would like a more extreme protection.
0: Mm-hmm. If you've just joined us, political scientists Megan Goldberg and Jim McCormick uh, with us today. Uh, Megan of Cornell College, Jim uh, of Iowa State University. Join us, one let us go to Natalie in Des Moines. Natalie, welcome to this program. I think you have a comment on the Respect for Marriage Act being signed into law. Welcome.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Um, yeah, I am from Des Moines. I'm in a same sex relationship and you know, with the way that politics are going, it just feels really good um, in Iowa to see that we're having some support on the federal level from our own
2: senators and house members uh, to get this passed. It makes me really want to stay in Iowa a little bit more, um, you know, just knowing that my marriage would be protected if
1: that were to occur.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think it went far enough? That was one of the criticisms uh, that was aimed at this, uh, that, for instance, if the Obergefell um, uh, decision is overturned by a Supreme Court, uh, things may the picture may change, uh, Natalie.
1: Yeah, it makes me feel a lot better than I did before it happened, but I would always like to see more, uh, to know that my rights are protected in the same way that a um, straight couple would be protected you know, that would be the best case scenario, but any steps towards that is really uh, something to be proud of and something to be happy about.
0: All right. Natalie, thank you so much for weighing in from Des Moines. Take care.
1: Thank you. So so
0: comment on that. This does not guarantee a right to uh, same-sex marriage federally, Megan, does it? So if the Supreme Court acted... uh, uh, to overturn that uh, that precedent from, what, 2015, uh, we could see a different picture?
1: Uh, yeah, so this is one of the, the fun pieces of federalism uh, in the U.S. So um, the, the new law requires the federal government to recognize the validity of these marriages in the U.S. Um, and it's the Supreme Court decision that's keeping states uh, from ending you know, the state recognition, uh, of those marriages. And so, you know, I think that in the case that we had, uh, overturned that, that Supreme Court precedent, you could see states move. Now, on the other hand, um, you've, you've sort of already talked about this. I think that would be a wildly unpopular move, even in pretty conservative states, even in a state like Iowa. Um, that there is a lot of public support for same-sex marriages. And so, you know, the, if the court overturned it and tossed it to the States, um, you know, I, I, think that it'd be taking a huge risk to, uh, to overturn the recognition of those marriages.
0: Mm-hmm. We have a few minutes left before we take our uh, break. I, I want to. This came out today. We well, actually, an announcement yesterday by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. Uh, comment on this. She's banning the use of TikTok on all state-owned devices and prohibiting state agencies from sus- subscribing or creating a TikTok account. Uh, this is uh, following similar orders from other Republican governors in states. Um, Alabama, Maryland, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Utah, Texas, uh, Marco Rubio in in Florida introduced legislation that would ban the social video sharing app in the U.S. And Jim, this has a international component here because oh, yeah. the Chinese company uh, BitDance, ByteDance, BitDance, not sure which one, owns this app. And the FBI director, Christopher Wray, uh, told Congress, um, was it last month, that he's very yes, He's very concerned about this, right? That
2: what? That all of the uh, information on TikTok ultimately uh, goes back to, you know, the the Chinese company, which uh, to take one additional step is controlled by the uh, Chinese Communist Party. So th- there's actually a, a, a legis- There's likely to be legislation in this. I mean, I know we're going to talk later about the new Congress, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if You know, uh, I think there's a couple things going on here. Not only is there the Chinese connection uh, that is going to impinge on TikTok, but there's also, in light of all of these other things about Twitter and high tech, I think also this kind of intrusion, you know, uh, uh, into people's lives with with this kind of uh, technology here. I think it's probably going to drive actually both parties to even at a national level uh, to take some kind of, Restriction or some kind of limitation or regulation. So I'm not really surprised that uh, Governor Reynolds uh, took this action. You know, in terms of following other other state, uh, state or Republican state governors here. Yeah, the... uh, I actually think it will will become a national. Uh, in the not-too-distant future.
0: Mm-hmm. It's interesting, Governor Reynolds' quote on this, part of her quote, it is clear that TikTok represents a national security risk to our country, and I refuse to subject the citizens of Iowa to that risk. Part of her statement there, the Des Moines Register brought out this, uh, I think uh, Breanne Steele w- was writing this article, not immediately clear how many agencies would be affected here in Iowa, uh, and then pointing out that some of Iowa's public universities have made TikTok accounts including the University of Iowa, which has nearly 53,000 followers. Iowa State University's athletics department has more than 115,000 followers on TikTok. Megan, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so I, I think this move is is really interesting. Um, you know, I think in many ways that, uh, the, I, I think there are legitimate, you know, security concerns about TikTok. I also think that there are concerns about the way that it affects power relationships i think that's a lot of the concern around social media is concern about uh the the way in which it lets us interact with with um you know leaders who we before we had a lot of middle men sort of you know negotiating our relationship with them and it gives us access to criticize Mm. um to criticize those and and i think that in many ways this is um I I don't know. I I don't think it's like it's the most strategic move, uh, knowing just how young voters in particular consume information Mm -hmm. uh, and the way I mean, if you are on TikTok in Iowa at all, it's very clear sort of, you know, who's dominating that sort of sphere. Um, And I think it's an important way to to reach people. Um, I think a lot of forms of social media are and sort of shutting down it as an avenue of communication while while there are security concerns. Um, you know, you have to figure out another way to reach people, on the other hand, with this information.
0: Yeah. Well, I, know,
2: I know the Chinese response was that, they, you know, that actually the, the ownership or the monitoring of it is really through an American, you know, American company here. So that maybe serves as an intermediate level. I suppose you could work out some, you know, some arrangement where there would not be, um, you know, the uh, ultimate possibility of sending these messages back to back to uh, Chinese government control.
0: This, this uh, at least in my reading, you know, Governor Reynolds following similar orders by other Republican governors in other states. Um, Megan, why does this appear partisan? Jim, you, you said, you know, this should be, have bipartisan support, you would guess, in the future. But Megan, your thoughts on why it's coming out at least initially partisan?
1: I mean, I think part of it is that we've seen the Democratic Party, at least nationally, embrace TikTok as sort of like this avenue for communication that, you know, Biden has sort of like brought in these like TikTok influencers to the White House. Um, You know, they've they've done a little bit to like create and cultivate a presence on there Um, and, you know, not even trying to necessarily make their own accounts. I'm I'm sure there is a White House TikTok account, uh, but inviting these other voices in. Um, And I think they're using that as a strategy uh, to reach young voters. And so I think they're going to be, you know, in terms of trying to regulate it, weigh sort of the costs and benefits of these security concerns, but also sort of the potential it has uh, for them uh, to, to reach young people.
0: Yeah. We have about a minute left. Megan, let me toss you this one in the short amount of time we have. uh, The start of the new legislative session less than a month away, incredibly. um, I think January 9th the first day of the new session. uh, The Iowa Republicans uh, deepening their majorities in the legislature. Very quickly, a preview of what you think we should expect in a new session.
1: Yeah, you know, so I was looking at some of the the sort of... um cliffhangers we had at the end of the last session, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that obviously vouchers are going to come up quickly, Mm -hmm. um, especially now with a a bigger majority. Uh, The one I'm sort of watching for, especially given the new court decision, is what Uh, We'll see the legislature do about abortion. I have sort of been saying, I think, for a while that Reynolds wanted to take a a path through the courts to avoid any votes on it. Um, But now that those avenues are narrowing, I'm sort of curious to see how this moves into the legislature as well.
0: Okay, we'll be back in just a a few minutes after a short break with Megan Goldberg of Cornell College, Jim McCormick of Iowa State University, our two political analysts. We want to, of course, talk about the new Congress and that... um, Kirsten Sinema of Arizona leaving the Democratic Party to register as an independent. Also, their take on a new poll, this is a USA Today Suffolk University poll, by a two-to-one margin, by a two-to-one margin, GOP and GOP-leaning voters now say they want Trump's policies but a different standard bearer to carry them. Uh, So Trumpism without Trump, is that possible? (laughs) We'll talk with Megan and Jim about it Plenty more. We'll go to foreign policy, talk about Ukraine. Join our conversation 1866-780-9100. I'm Ben Kiefer back with more of our politics day in just a moment. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage and more at myHIH.com. We're back with more of River to River from IPR News. I'm Ben Kiefer. It's a Politics Wednesday with Jim McCormick of Iowa State University, Megan Goldberg of Cornell College. If you'd like to join us, 1-866-780-9100. Toward the end of the hour, I want to um, uh, ask Megan and Jim uh, going forward, it's hard to believe we're, we're going to be saying adieu to... 2022, (laughs) in just a matter of a few weeks uh, going forward, uh, I'll ask them what they'll have their eyes on for 2023. Uh, Before that, uh, I want to talk about the new Congress we'll have in 2023 with a divided Congress. But before that, this uh, poll jumped out at me, Republican support for Donald Trump's presidential bid in 2024 cratering, according to a USA Today Suffolk University poll By two to one, GOP and GOP-leaning voters, self-identified, now say they want Trump's policies but a different standard bearer to carry them. 31% want the former president to run. 61% prefer some other Republican nominee uh, who would continue the policies Trump has pursued. Jim, what do you think of that?
2: Well, I'm really not very surprised by that. I mean, DeSantis won a very large victory in in Florida here uh, with his reelection bid. I mean, and uh, Florida delegation uh, was also uh, reelected, too. And Trump's candidates faltered, faltered badly. I mean, uh, I think it's it's not an overstatement to say that Trump's endorsement of some of the Senate candidates uh, cost uh, Republicans the Senate. I mean, uh, whether it's in Pennsylvania or Arizona or uh, or Georgia here, and even extending to Nevada here. I think that those all of those uh, Trump endorsed candidates uh, you know, faltered here. Uh, and I think that that certainly has been a a resounding message to uh, Republican party members and Republican leaders here uh, that you know that, that the the Trump uh, brand is at least tarnished, if not completely uh, eviscerated here. So I guess I'm not really surprised, given, DeSantis's uh victory here um you know and, and he obviously doesn't come with any of the at least on the surface at this juncture any of the baggage that trump comes with i mean mm-hmm. there's going to be as you know within within a week now there's going to be this uh january 6 committee report coming out i think a week from today it's supposed to be issued and yep. you know there's a special prosecutor and counsel i guess uh, more politely um so, so I guess I'm not surprised. I would have been surprised if he would have ma- maintained any kind of support.
0: Yeah, yeah. But still, uh, Megan, he's had this core of support that's been remarkably solid through all kinds of firestorms, firestorms over what Jim mentioned, personal behavior, rhetoric, and so forth. Megan, do you see it the way Jim does?
1: Yeah, I, I think I agree with um, pretty much everything Jim has said. You know, I think that um, you know, one of the advantages he had in sort of maintaining that base was that he was winning things uh, and that was important. But I also think that there's, I mean, it's, um, you know, sort of going like classic political science literature, it's hard to maintain this sort of front runner status um, when you're not publicly in any position as like a party leader. Uh, and so I think it's also really hard because he, you um, is it the president and he's not actively running? Well, I guess now he is actively running for office, but we're not quite in the cycle yet. Mm -hmm. um, That his control over the media cycle has really weakened. And we're not seeing Trump as often or in the way that we used to, um, because there are other things he has to share the news cycle with, like a a president um, who's actually in office. And so I think that, um, he's just also having trouble sort of maintaining being front and center. Um, and plus, there's just been sort of a lot of embarrassments uh, associated with both the loss, but also, I mean, things going on with Kanye and Nick Fuentes, like all of these other sort of this other cast of characters that's revolving around and, Trump. And,
0: yeah, and mentioning that he he it might be time to terminate the Constitution. Y-
1: yes, right. All of these sort of things that are, it's a little bit, um, you know, one of the things you want to do Uh, If you're a leader of the party is make your party look good and you want your party uh, base to feel good about being a member of that party. And I think some of the stuff he has sort of done recently has weakened that sort of hold he has on making the party look good to the people in the party.
2: Mm -hmm. I think there was tolerance for this as long as as Megan said, as long as he was winning. Yeah. But but or, loss right loss is a, is a problem,
0: or as long as there's not a, a viable alternative, and now in DeSantis, Jim that's right there yeah. is oh, let's just put uh, the policies on this politician
2: um, and and uh, he's one without the baggage. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, DeSantis right now, I mean I, I'm not sure there, I'm sure there'll be you know there's always that negative campaigning that will take place, and right. so there will be some. Some coverage of that. I guess my concern is, you know, if this kind of trend continues which uh, with regard to Trump, whether he's going to stay in the battle and, you know, really further divide the, you know, the Republicans here, I mean, because he's going to maintain some base support. I, I, you know, I wholly agree that there are going to be some that will continue their allegiance, but, you know, it it could be just disastrous, uh, you know, as as Republicans look ahead.
0: Yeah. Um, Let's talk about... uh Kirsten Cinema announcing last Friday she's leaving the Democratic Party uh, to register as a, a, a Democrat. Um, let's listen to a little bit of uh, her. I think this is from recent days. Uh, this is uh, just days after the Democrats clinching that 51-49 majority in the Senate. Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema announcing her departure from the Democratic Party. Here's her explanation to uh, CNN's Jake Tapper. You're here to make a significant announcement. I've registered as an Arizona Independent. I know some people might be a little bit surprised by this, but actually I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, a growing number of Arizonans and people like me just don't feel like we fit neatly into one party's box or the other. And so, like many across the state and the nation, I've decided to leave that partisan process. and really just focus on the work that I think matters to Arizona and to our country, which is solving problems and getting things done. Megan, how does her move change what Democrats can do
1: with their majority? Uh, you know, so I think that um, it's uh, it does weaken, I guess the Democrats slightly because they had a bigger majority. I think that is interesting, right. That this happens, this move comes after we know the results of the runoff. Um, it suggests to me that she's likely going to caucus with Democrats and uh, as much as possible. Um, and I, I don't know how welcoming the Republicans will be to her. Um, and, you know, we don't have a ton of independents sort of in the contemporary Senate to model this after, you know, Bernie Sanders pretty reliably caucuses with Democrats in so far as that most people think of him as a Democrat. Um, but I think that, you know, it's still the the majority in the Senate was never going to be high enough that they didn't have to worry about the filibuster and things like that. So I think there's probably still some um, maneuvering they'll have to do and perhaps some catering to her. But I think they would have had to do that regardless of whether or not she made this official switch or not.
0: Mm-hmm. Jim, will it make much difference?
2: Well, I think it was done for two reasons. One was, was domestic back home in Arizona because, you know, she, you know, is going to face a primary challenge. Uh, I, it's already announced, I believe, uh, that Ruben Gallegos is going to run for Senate. But I think actually I think that it gives her more leverage <laughs> uh, in, in, in Washington because, you know, the the party's got to, you know, got to look to her more. I mean, mm-hmm. they've already had to do, you know, some accommodation, but it, in some ways it gives gives her even more leverage here in terms of um, keeping, you know, keeping the Democrats closer to what she wants to, uh, you know, so her and and with Manchin, you know, it. it it really gives them. They've already had leverage, but I think it actually gives her a little bit more leverage. <laughs> so you uh, say, serving so as an independent.
0: She saw the spotlight going away from her.
2: And, Absolutely. And I, said, I, I mean, uh, I let's, think let's so. Let's have
0: that spotlight back, please. I, I think so,
2: <laughs> and you know the timing after the election, it was fifty-one forty-nine. Now it's you know fifty-one forty-nine, but tangentially. I mean, I think she has said that she's going to caucus with the Democrats because she probably wants some committee assignments. It seems to me. I mean, that, that's an important. You know, phenomenon, and to be in the majority side yeah. of you know in terms of committee committee assignments here, but I think it really it really helps her in Washington, and um, I'm not sure what you know her standing in Arizona has always been kind of kind of wobbly here. I think, I guess the other question that has been raised is whether she's actually going to run again uh, in Arizona, and now at least she has the option of running in the general election. Although I I noticed one account saying that. Given Arizona law, she could not really run, you know, any any kind of primary situation. She could only only uh, show herself in the in the in the general election here. So, right.
0: And but there's uh, Lisa Murkowski in in Alaska successfully did that, didn't she, Jim?
2: She sure did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even had a write-in win, which is even more right. even <laughs> more remarkable. I mean, uh, I, I was always surprised. So, uh, uh, so anyways, I. I my bottom line is I think it 's actually strengthened her in some ways at least for the for the for the next couple of years here
0: before Jim you take us into uh, some international political news uh, let 's uh, Megan please comment on the u s house which will be um, in the control of the Republicans uh, in two thousand and twenty three and representative kevin McCarthy current minority. Uh, leader now working hard to become speaker next year when the GOP assumes the majority uh, so far unable to put down what has been described as a mini revolt on the right uh, what do you make of of um, the opposition to McCarthy, the GOP factions within the house?
1: Yeah, I, I have been watching this with a lot of interest. I think we'll continue as they try to to do the speaker election. You know, it's given me flashbacks a little bit to the Tea Party era, um, you know, where we had this series of Republican speakers who had a really hard time holding the party together. Um, you know, I think we, we talk all the time about how Democrats are this big tent party and there's all these factions inside of it. Um, but at the end of the day, right, they came together and uh, elected Pelosi. And so I'm curious to see how McCarthy navigates this, especially, um, you know, with this growing faction that I think is um, almost similar to the Tea Party. And I haven't looked sort of really at the exact data to see, um, you know, sort of trying to compare, is it the same number of freshmen? Are they coming in with similar low levels of previous political experience? Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there are some norms, uh, professional norms around how the House and the Senate operate. And when you sort of come in with a bunch of folks who are ready to to genuinely want to turn around how things are working uh, and really sort of anti-establishment in many ways, Um, you know, when you're the leader of the party, you still are establishment. And so you're going to run into problems. Um, And so I'm sort of trying to see, I don't, you know, I think for the Republican Party, it was, there was a lot of turmoil inside the party um, with the rise of the Tea Party faction um, and you know, the House Freedom Caucus. And so that's, I'm sort of seeing, looking to see in what ways this is similar to that dynamic.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, after 10 months in Russian custody, uh, two time Olympic gold medalist Brittany Greiner, back in the US, even back on the basketball court, according to reports, she was arrested on drug charges at a Russian airport back in February, sentenced to nine years in prison. Uh, she'd gone to Russia to play basketball in the uh, WNBA offseason, freed in a prisoner swap for notorious convicted Russian arms dealer Victor Boot. Uh, this is the White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre talking about the decision to bring Brittany Griner home without a U.S. Marine Paul Whelan.
1: While we're celebrating Brittany's return home today, we have also uh, continued to be in touch with the Whelan family, for whom this news brings mixed emotions. In recent weeks, it became clear that while Russians were willing to reach an agreement to secure Brittany's release, they continued to treat Paul Whelan differently, given the nature of the total, totally illegitimate charges they have levied against Paul. Unfortunately, the choice became to either bring Brittany home or no one.
0: Jim, what is your understanding of how this deal was reached after many months, a deal without, as pointed out there, uh, the release of uh, American Paul Whelan?
2: Well, I mean, I, I think what it was is, uh, it sounds to me like the Americans were given an ultimatum that uh, if if they wanted uh, Brittany Griner back, not Paul Whelan, but if they wanted Brittany Griner back, they had to uh, uh, release uh, Bout here. One for uh, one.
0: Mm-hmm. Pardon me. One for one.
2: One for one. Not two for one. Not two for no. There was no, and you know he he was a cherished kind of uh, uh, what hostage or prisoner, I guess, uh, as from Russians would see it as a hostage here on the part of the Americans, and uh, you know that that was that was the best that they they could do, and um, you know I, I mean I I think that they probably ultimately the the after many months because they, this deal had been at least floated as early as six months ago, it seems to me. Um, you know, they, they finally decided to bite the bullet and just to, just to take it, even though, uh, about has, you know, uh, uh, quite a, quite a history here in terms of being a major arms dealer globally mm-hmm. and, and the way that he was captured on the verge of another, another arms deal, uh, as well. Um, I think that the problem is, even though the press secretary said they're concerned about getting Whalen out, I don't see an, an immediate avenue uh, for what kind of a what kind of a deal could be struck here. I mean, apparently there was some murmurings that uh, you know, if um, the United States could get Germany to release a particular prisoner that they were hold, holding, there might be another one-for-one swap there, uh, but that. Uh, either the German government objected to that, or the Americans decided that that was maybe a, a bridge too far to yeah. uh, to try to to try to get to here. So I think it's uh, it's going to be difficult to get to get Whalen home, and you know he's got this 16-year sentence. He's served four years already. Uh, so uh, I mean, uh, despite the efforts that uh, apparently the administration made, I, I think that that. It it doesn't bode well for him at this juncture.
0: We're running out of time. Jim, please, a quick comment on this far-right plot to overthrow the German government. We had some 3,000 German police officers, also special forces, fanning out across that country. Uh, they had raided 150 homes, arrested 25 people, put over 50 under investigation. This is a plot to overthrow the German government. Um, and uh, it's uh, known as this movement to tied to known as the Reichsburger, uh, right? And and this this theory that uh, the German Reich pre 1918, um, this is the aspiration. They believe that the conspiracy that was that the German um, Germany is not a sovereign com- com- country <laughs> right. and hasn't yeah. been since World War II, right?
2: And they're really controlled by corporate interests, I mean, was, was part of the argument. I mean, when I read this, it's absolutely bizarre, uh, actually. But it's part of this kind of, you know, this is sort of the globalization of some of these kind of conspiracy theories here, these kind of populist movements that, uh, you know, that, that arise. I mean, it sounds like the leader of this, you know, uh, uh, hereditary prince, as, as he was claimed, you know, has this been, has been germinating for some time uh, you know, it's just a it's just a remarkable uh, kind of phenomenon, and particularly when you think of you know Western Europe and Germany have so much embraced uh, uh, tolerance and democratic principles here. Uh, maybe we shouldn't be surprised in light of America's own experience going to back right. to January, and I think actual ties,
0: well, right? Actual ties to QAnon, that's right, and that's and true. actual uh, you know Germans in this movement celebrating Donald Trump as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. The globalist kind of connection here uh, and, uh, you know, resurrection of the past. I mean, preserving the or returning to the German empire, I guess I should say. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A couple minutes left at time for each of you to think about 2023 as that approaches us quickly. Going forward, Megan, start us off. What will you have your eyes most, on mostly in the new year?
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things that I will be looking at in the new year is when we had Dobbs in the summer, uh, there was this sort of broad idea that we were going to be tossing abortion back to the states. Of course, that happened when most conservative states uh, don't have a legislative session happening at that moment. And so I'm sort of curious to see in the new sessions, uh, in both, you know, at the, the national level and at the state level, are we going to see legislatures taking up the issue of abortion again? Um and sort of see where that leaves us in relation to where all of these policies stand uh, in relation to public opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you have a hypothesis about where
1: that's going? Oh, my gosh, no. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I think what I'm curious to see, I, my, I guess one of my, if you make me predict something, um, is I think we might see Republicans taking some electoral risks and really putting to the test uh, their electorate's commitment uh, to these policies that they've sort of long been championing, but was sort of a non-issue in many ways because of uh,
2: legal precedent.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, Jim, you have the final 90 seconds to uh, yeah, have, I, have I us I just wanted to mention forward. on some foreign policy issues. Yes, please here. do.
2: Yeah. I think one of the things I'm going to be watching is the degree to which Western unity can be maintained uh, with regard to Ukraine. I think mm-hmm. that that, you know, given the winter that is, that is upon us, uh, and given kind of the stalemated situation, uh, that's going to be uh, an issue that I'm going to be really, really watching. The other uh, issue on, in the foreign policy realm for me is Taiwan. How much is Taiwan going to be uh, uh, a an issue here uh, in light of what's happening in Ukraine? In light of the uh, the kind of commitment that the uh, Xi Jinping has made, particularly in terms of rejuvenating. the the Chinese, the Chinese state. Uh, I think, sort of, uh, in Iowa, what I'll be interested in watching is uh, what's going to happen to the Iowa caucuses. Yes, (laughs) I think that is still going to be have to be sorted out, and so that is going to be also uh, a topic of interest. I mean, at one sense, they have been declared dead and almost buried, but you know, there's state law that operates, and so we'll see. I think that'll be an interesting uh, kind of relationship between the yeah. Democratic National Committee and state law.
0: Yeah. Jim, do you think uh, the Iowa Democratic Party will defy the National Party and just go ahead with it? I mean, they, I guess they could not be then seated, possibly not seated at the National Convention.
2: Depends on uh, whether President Biden announces that he's going to run again or not, seems <laughs> to me, because then the caucuses, you know, if he decides to run and there's no opposition to him, You know, it's kind of a bit of a dead letter for the caucuses, for Democratic caucuses, it seems to me.
0: All right. I want to thank you both for joining us this hour. Jim McCormick, professor of political science at Iowa State University. Megan Goldberg, assistant professor of American politics at Cornell College. Megan and Jim, um, happy holidays, and uh, we'll talk to you again in the new year. Thank you both. Thank Thank you. Happy holidays. River to River, also available as a podcast. Uh, subscribe to River to River using your favorite podcast app or go to iowapublicradio.org. Download our IPR app. That's a great way to listen, not to miss out on River to River, all that we have to offer. River to River produced today by Danny Gear, help from Sam McIntosh and Caitlin Troutman. Our executive producer is Catherine Perkins. I'm Ben Kiefer. Thanks for joining us.